We're continuing our study in 1 Corinthians 13. This is the third time we're coming back. And <clears throat> we're almost there. Today, our focus it will be at uh, verses 8 through 12. And the next Sunday, we will conclude this love chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, on one verse, verse 13 which will be a powerful uh, passage as well. Let's do a really quick recap. The three things we talked about, uh, studied uh, through this chapter is, number one, love is indispensable. Without love, any superlative spiritual gifts and strength is nothing. And secondly, we learned that love has a two primary qualities, starting with patience and kindness. The patient is an inward expression of love. Why? Because the agape love is choose to love without depending on the attraction or causation of feeling of love. Although love is not mere willpower, God supplies the love. And just think about God's furious love, God's lavishing love. And in Hosea, Hosea talks about, how can I give you, give you up, O Ephraim? My heart is turned upside down. So think about that. God, seeing these uh, people of God, like Gomer, just walking away and selling her body as like a prostitute to everyone. The image, the illustration of the God's people being like that, God's heart was turned. So it is more about... Um, not depending on the person's lovability, loveliness, but we love them because of God's love for us and reflect our love. If patience is inward, kindness is outward expression of love, choosing to do good will to them. So let's continue to think about the patience and kindness. So now, uh, last Sunday, we talked about what love doesn't do and love does. And then I want to summarize in this way. There are eight things love doesn't do and five things love does. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist its own way. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoings. Five things love does. Love rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do you remember this? The first three has to do with comparative spirit. A true agape love doesn't compare oneself to one another. Otherwise, if you end up being 
full of envy or full of pride and boast and arrogance. The second part, the cause is a self-centeredness or self-focus. If you're self-focused, you will be rude, you will insist your own way, and you will be irritable, easily angered. You will be resentful, holding grudges, not forgiving fully. The third part is love's holy standard. Love doesn't go along with everything that person whom you love. It's not a people-pleasing standard, but it is God-pleasing standard. So love doesn't rejoice. We actually love abhors evil, but rejoice with the truth. And the first, fourth and last part is once again the two bookends of patience. Bears all things and endures all things. And within it, their kindness believes all things and hopes all things. As I mentioned, we don't want this chapter to be just merely conceptual, philosophical, even theological learning. So we were praying for application. I actually I was praying for the Holy Spirit will stir our hearts and convict our hearts to be more loving people. Do you do you, do you sense this sometimes? You know, you're praying for something and you're thinking about something. You feel the nudge of the Spirit, and you open your quiet time. There it is, right in front of you, coming back. Or the other's uh, admonition, encouragement, challenge. For me, and for several of our Crossway Church members, it's the movie, the Dropbox film. I knew about it, I read about it. And about, I think, 16 of us, and some other people went different ways also, too. Wednesday night I went, I couldn't stop crying. You, you know what I thought it would be? It's a well-meaning Christian who's trying to do good work. Oh, we should encourage him. But what I saw is work of the Holy Spirit breaking on his whole daily walk because of his own son with disabilities. Through that brokenness and suffering and pain, this beautiful, incredible ministry has been born. Have you read about it? As ever since then, I was so curious, and there's an interview, there's a book, and there's even uh, Catholics talk about praises for his ministry. Call it a true Christian love. I can't wait until the movie becomes available so our home groups can have the movie night and discussion night. Or 
one of the things that I was moved most about was that uh, there, there was really absolutely absence of self-importance. I should even say there is full of self-forgetfulness in Pastor Lee. And his family, his wife, and his little adopted son. Oh, man. It's such as it gives us a, such a good a context as we go into the permanence of love in verse 8. eight. And I think we should read the, cha- uh, the passage once together. Beginning with verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It starts with this phrase, love never ends. There are actually four things that we're going to use it as a uh, thought hanger. We'll organize our learnings this way. The first one is love never ends, but all spiritual gifts, including superlative gifts and strength, will end eventually. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. You know, Apostle Paul is very intentional about this. The Corinthian church was bombarded with all kinds of, they're full of spiritual gifts and supernatural miracle gifts. And their gathering must have been really famous. As people are invited, just being in that service, they saw all kinds of things. So in turn, Corinthians thought that they're super spiritual. They're very mature. Apostle Paul gently brings this up. It's a, in a way, loving rebuke for them. Three most desired gifts. Their favorite gifts. Uh, all has to do very public and showy. Although good, superlative spiritual gifts. Number one is always tongue for them. Number two, prophecies. And the people actually 
receiving prompting of the Holy Spirit to be able to be able to utter the heart of God, the mind of God. It's incredible things. And that's also the gift of prophecy. And the third one is the gift of knowledge. Although they were coming from mostly uneducated background, as they listen and learn, the Holy Spirit gave them word of knowledge and they begin to understand the mysteries. Spiritual knowledge was there, were, were there. So Apostle Paul intentionally chooses the three spiritual gifts, reminding them, you know, you think that this is everything right now, but it will pass away. Tongues will cease. And it begins with love never ends. NIV translates it as love never fails. And there's a reason why. The Greek word for end, ESV translates to end, that literally means fall. It's kind of a strange way of saying it from, from our standard, our point of view. Love never falls. What does that mean? There are actually two implications uh, you could look at. Love never gets bogged down, beat down. Uh, love is not destroyed forever. And this, this, the second implication would be love lasts forever. So we get that. But this is what we, not, what we are not to do. Oh, love exists forever. Right? We get that. Right? But it's more than that. What Paul is saying is, of course, even the temporal things pass away, even in the, even in the presence of God, forever and ever, love will be there. Not as, a, not as a side issue, but as a central issue. This is what it means to be a Christian. Essence of Christian living, Paul is saying. Not the gifts, not the strength, not the things that you value. Obviously, in, in applying in today's wor world, uh, our church is not a cessationist, uh, meaning that all the spirit supernatural gifts ceased. We don't believe that. We actually believe that it continues. But Holy Spirit holds the right to give. Where's the need? So it, it not uh, not like a super extreme charismatic people who make these spiritual gifts that are very public and very uh, miraculous as a sign of spirit-filled community? No, not necessarily. There are subtle things that Holy Spirit continually uses. In our churches, those spiritual gifts are being used right now. But on, on the other side, cessationists would use this verse, tongue, they will seize. The noun of seize, to seize, is a cessation. So they, they call it cessationism. Cessationists will say, tongue, 
has already ended apostolic age? No, I don't think so. Although these, the supernatural gifts continue and we, we surrender to Holy Spirit's power and wisdom and right as he chooses so. So some of these, the miracle gifts are much more seen, including healings, in third world countries, during the missionaries, uh, the missionaries' initial work. So we see that all the time. So that, that's why the people are so bogged down about this narrow view of doing things, uh, looking at things. And when they go out to mission, they change in such a way because they see the supernatural things. The super, that spiritual world is there. But coming back to our application, men and women, brothers and sisters, look at this. We don't really struggle about... I need prophecy. I need tongue. Wow, I don't care about anything else. I need knowledge. No, we don't do that. So you think whatever is valuable in your heart, and you put it in there. It could be your career. It could be your, your possessions. It could be your name or dignity or your uh, personal development and accomplishment, actualization. It could be your hobby. They will pass away. But love is the essence. Second, love never ends, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Verse 9, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And obviously, the question that immediately comes is, what is is the perfect? There are several views. Let me introduce them very quickly. Uh, The first group thinks that it's a Completion of New Testament. That's God's word, scripture. It's complete and it's perfect. Typically, cessationists will say these things because the, uh, the completion of the Bible, we don't need any more spiritual, uh, the supernatural gifts, so you will cease. Uh, perfect has come. But it doesn't make sense. If you look at the context, we still know in part even after the completion of the scripture. The other part is that people will say, this is actually the maturity of the church, when church becomes mature. Why? Because the Greek word for perfect is more not so much of uh, being perfect, it's a being complete. The complete is a basis root word for maturity in, in biblical language. Be complete, be mature. So that maybe it's a church's maturity. I don't think so either. There's a lot of holes. And then some, some people will say, it is heaven. When we get to heaven, finally we don't have to deal with anything else. Yes, in part it is true. 
because it, it will be eternity in heaven. But fourth and last point is what I think, the right view. It refers to the culmination of our salvation. When Lord Jesus comes back, we will no longer need these temporary gifts we have. For only three things will remain, faith, love, and hope. And love will continually be essence of that. That's why Pastor Lee's sacrificial love, uh, picking up the baby who's dropped in that, abandoned because the teenage girl and shame culture, because of the deformity, because of all kinds of problems with the baby. Not because... Uh, his name is uh, popular and now trendy, but because loving act used by the Holy Spirit will continue on. I can't wait until next week because uh, I'm still holding back a lot why the love among the three is the greatest. But that's until next week. When the perfect comes, we'll see Jesus face to face and all these incomplete things, incomplete gifts will no longer be needed. Don't get me wrong. They are very essential right now. We need all those spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. But when the perfect thing comes, the imperfect is no longer needed. Third, oh, as a one of the key passages for, for this timing, or the perfect, uh, Paul mentioned in the beginning of his letter, 1 Corinthians 1, 6-7, he writes this, Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, He's affirming their spiritual gift so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Until then, Paul spurs on their exercising their spiritual gifts. Number three, love never ends. Therefore, Love gives us a more mature way to live our Christian life here and now. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I, be, I gave up childish ways. This is one of the first, um, the first of the two illustrations Paul gives about the truth. That love is essential, everlasting, never-ending, indispensable essence of Christian living, spiritual life. And he uses his own life. In one sense, because it's illustration, we could say this way. Whatever we are experiencing is like childish toys. But when we get to heaven, it will be the real thing. It will be the mature thing. We will see the, the fullness of love and be so glad and filled with joy with that. 
But I think it's more than that. I think it's more than just a, as an illustration reminding of the eternity. Remember that they were, because of all these spiritual gifts, they're over-realized eschatology. In other words, they really thought that heaven already came because of all these spiritual gifts. Miracle spiritual gifts were there. So we see that in the prosperity gospel movement all the time. You believe in, name it, and claim it, and you're healthy. You're going to be healthy, and you're going to be wealthy, and you're going to live like kings because you belong to kings, and you will drive nice cars, and you will have mansions right now. Now That's so twisted. Because the real thing is there. Jesus endured the way of the cross, and God exalted him. The beauty and paradox of Christian life is actually looking at Pastor Lee. His brokenness, his suffering is part of his glory. And my sons, on the way back, I usually have to twist them to share what did you learn. They were volunteering easily. One question, what did you guys learn? All of them. Oh, so thankful. Mentioned about sovereignty of God in they didn't use the word sovereignty, but I learned that deformed babies are not useless because God uses, uses them for their, His glory and they're beautiful in God's eyes. I learned that pain and suffering, as a Christian, we should look at it, look at it differently. These are my words, my kids' words. Love is like that. So when you think about the truth that we are embracing right now, how should we live? We should abandon childish ways. What are the childish ways? Pushing ourselves into self-importance. Holding grudges. Being self-absorbed, comparing ourselves and all these things. Leave the childish ways. And embrace love as a mature way. In essence, Paul's message is loving person is mature person. Not knowledgeable person. Not smart people. Not people who are doing a lot of things. But people who have a genuine love for others. Because that is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit a sign that the person received God's agape love and it's overflowing. Do you realize in um, chapter, uh, verse 12 as we end, that he points out the reality of what's coming up. The fourth and last point 
love never ends. Therefore, love gives us an eternal perspective. Verse 12, we, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. Unlike our mirrors, the first century mirrors were very imperfect. It was just shined metal. So think about like looking yourself uh, when you are, you know, uh, don't have any mirror and you look at your minivan as a, you know, your hair, like that. So you could feel the, the blurry images, imperfect images. Paul is saying, right now, because we believe these things by faith, things are blurry images, not perfect at all. But then, when? When Jesus comes back, at the instant moment, in the presence of Jesus, a lot of those strangely tedious questions that we have will be gone because we know things perfectly. Right now, our Lord Jesus knows us personally if we belong to him inside out, much more than we know ourselves. Then we shall know him, see face to face, and the fullness of glory will be there. What does it tell us? It, it actually points us to, gives us a perspective. We are not to focus on things that are seemingly so glaringly right now what's most important. but need to evaluate things in light of perspective that's given here, eternal perspective. So as I, um, my confession is that as I grow mature, uh, I have a lot of regrets. It's really not cool to say you have a regret, right? I have no regrets whatsoever. I, I wish I could say that, but the more I get closer to Christ, you know what kind of regrets I have? I didn't know what I was doing when I was bragging about something at a young age, young 30s. When things are happening, my book was being sold. I thought that I made it. And those things are important. The controlling things are important. All those things are important. But I am really ashamed. How can I even do that? It's not regret because of my own self-evaluation thing. It's coming to know Christ. And I, as I get to know Christ more closer to every day, love brings a different light on, on my life. And even within our church, right? How do, you, how do you define success of a church? And I get intimidated whenever I go to conferences. Why? Because the worldly standard, even including the church 
culture standard. There's a lot of external things. And I want to stand before Christ and say, Lord, I have a full joy because I have obeyed you. I want to please you, not people. I, want, I don't want to twist these things for my own ego, even the spiritual things. Could I challenge you? When you're fighting with your spouse, when you have a grudges against one of the members, when you don't like someone out of no reason, when you have so many different kind of a reasons that irritations you have, come to Christ. Come how, see how he loves you. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not rude. Jesus endures all things, believes all things for you. And we should, in, in the season of repentance, return to God. Not, not as a half-hearted gesture of repentance, but the full weight in it. You could be, you know, full of yourself being a very active church member. Full of yourself become a famous a leader and pastor. So in light of my prayer for our church, I want us to listen to this sage, old sage, calling a charge and call for true spirituality. By the way, that's the series title. First Corinthians 30 series is called the True Spirituality. So even in our culture, what would be true spirituality? Listen to his call. The old Apostle John writes to the churches in first letter of John, chapter 3, verse 16 and below. He writes this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his, his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's exactly what we are all to do. Let's pray that we are known for our love for one another, not because of our, of our rhetoric, not because of our vision statement, our core values, but because of our action. So kudos to all of you for actually love 
those kids who need clean water, the 16 of you who stepped up and say, I want to love, the many of you who are participating, just supporting and caring for Brian and Hyojung's family. That's what it means to love. The people are gathering to pray for entire church, doing a labor of love. That's what it means to put it into action. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we are grateful for your scripture. And we pray that you will not only inspire us, us, but nudge us into action. I don't know what you remember in the message, but I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Would you respond to him in this quietness in this room? Do not push it away. Do not put out the small fire of the Holy Spirit. What action do you need to take? What decision do you need to make? Remember, this is a actually possible only you, if you receive God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. So would you respond to him? And in a moment I will close. Oh, Abba Father, we repent of the ways that we hide behind the spiritual and religious things and our own standard of being okay and righteous enough. And we repent of our pride and self-centeredness and self-focus. We repent of our just love and affection for our comfort zone in OC life. We repent that our saltiness is weak, our, our light is dim. But Lord, without you and your refreshing and renewing, rejuvenating work of the Holy Spirit within us, we have no hope. So by faith, I boldly ask you to begin a new work within each one of us to take us into deeper, into your love that we will actually experience by taking action. Experience the love that we have never experienced before. And I pray that you will Encourage every single one of us in this room to take the first step of faith into action. 
today and this week. We give you glory and we pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.